Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Enhancing Patient Outcomes in Chronic Kidney Disease, Recognizing the Importance of Early Detection and Optimized Management. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Beringer Ingelheim Pharmaceuticals Incorporated and Eli Lilly and Company. Hello, I'm Dr. George Backris, Professor of Medicine and Director of the American Heart Association Comprehensive Hypertension Center at the University of Chicago. I'd like to introduce Dr. Paul Lagrange, Senior Family Physician at Collegeville Family Practice, Collegeville, Pennsylvania. There are a number of people with kidney disease and they don't know it. It's up to the physician to tell the patient they have kidney disease. How do you make the diagnosis? You need an estimated GFR and you need a spot albumin creatinine ratio that is in the spot urine. If the GFR is less than 60, that is kidney disease. If the spot albumin is greater than 300, that is absolutely kidney disease, irrespective of what the GFR is. If the albuminuria is between 30 and 299, that does not necessarily signify kidney disease if the GFR is normal. However, it is a cardiovascular risk marker because it signifies inflammation. We can look at the number of people going on to dialysis. It has more than doubled compared to 2010. And this is true around the world. It's not just true in the U.S., Six to nine percent of the patients with CKD die each year. If you have a GFR of less than 45, you have a four and a half fold greater risk of all cause mortality and an 11 fold greater risk of having a cardiovascular event. In fact, the majority of people die of cardiovascular diseases before they get to dialysis. The kidney does a number of things, and one of the things it does is it helps produce erythropoietin to modulate hemoglobin. It also modulates vitamin D synthesis, which is important for calcium homeostasis. It handles 90% of the body's potassium. So when you get down to GFRs below 45, your risk for hyperkalemia is much higher. The normal decline in kidney function is about 1 ml per minute per year. In 1980, when we had no treatment, we were losing 10 to 12 mls per minute per year if you had diabetes and or hypertension. And now, if you do optimal therapy, you can slow things down to about 2 mls per minute per year. CKD is a worldwide problem, most commonly caused by diabetes and hypertension. That accounts for about 72% of all cases. And the bulk of the remaining cases are IgA nephropathy, polycystic disease, and glomerular diseases. Early diagnosis is critical so that the patient understands they have kidney disease. They will be much more likely to be adherent to what you're telling them to do. Now, presence of CKD is also a cardiovascular risk factor. So it's not just the kidney that you're worried about. It's the heart as well. Well, obviously, everybody is at risk of developing CKD and we should be screening for it. But there are certain groups of people that are especially at risk of developing CKD. Diabetes, either type 1 or type 2, hypertension, obesity. Those with heart failure, as we age, there's more of a chance of developing CKD. Those who are smokers, there's evidence of this. Family history, ethnicity, some groups of ethnic backgrounds are more at risk of developing CKD, like African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans and Asians. And also, of course, prior history of acute kidney injury. And finally, people who take NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, they are much more at risk. And those are of the prescription and non-prescription variety. So these are people that we especially should be looking at the possibility of having CKD and screening for them.
And as far as who to screen specifically in diabetes, what we recommend is to do a urinary albumin creatinine ratio in these patients and a GFR. And these should be done on a regular basis. It's recommended to be done at least once a year on our patients who are diabetic, more often if they have CKD. So it's an important point for you to remember. All diabetics should have at least an annual GFR and a urinary albumin creatinine ratio. Now, as far as screening for the CKD, we said UACR, but the 24-hour collection can also be done. I don't do it that often, but that's possibility. A time four-hour or overnight collection can be done. But again, the most common one is the random spot urine collection measured for the albumin creatinine ratio, and it's the preferred one, and now it's HEDIS mandated. Now, keep in mind that this can be elevated and it can be misleading at times, independent of chronic kidney disease, like patients who have CHF, those who have exercise within 24 hours, fever, infection, hyperglycemia, menstruation, these can cause aberrations in the UACR, and please be aware of that. And because of the variability of UACR, two or three specimens collected during a three to six month period must be abnormal before a diagnosis of microalbuminuria can be made. Microalbuminuria is a cardiovascular risk marker and by itself, by the way, is not kidney disease unless the GFR is less than 60. Paul, how should patients at high risk for developing CKD be monitored? All right, let's get right into that. So as for the KDGO, once a year is fine for stage one or two. For stage 3A, a UACR, less than 300 milligrams per gram every six months. Stage 3A and B with a UACR greater than 300 every three to four months, stage four every three months, and stage five every one to two months. This is something we all need to know. So you'll be seeing these patients very often, and you'll be monitoring them very carefully, like it says on this slide. As you can see with this table, some patients are more at risk than others. And we look at this by value of their UACRs as well as their GFRs. Those that are low risk or moderate risk, you should be able to handle them yourself. Those that are at high risk, but especially those that are at very high risk, you should be strongly considering sending these patients for consultation with a nephrologist. So looking at this heat map, you can see the prognosis of CKD by the different stages based on the GFR and the urine albumin to creatinine ratio. And I will sometimes show this to my patients and show them where they are on this heat map and tell them that they are, let's say, at moderate risk, they are at high risk or very high risk. And what I tell them, especially if they're in their early stages of chronic kidney disease, that we may be able to keep their kidneys going on for a lifetime, depending on what we do with their medication and with patients' lifestyle changes. As you can see here, again, it's very important then that you monitor these patients carefully. And when the situation arises, you and the nephrologist should be working very closely together to make sure they don't have further deterioration of their kidneys. And in fact, in some cases, improving on their kidney functions. In the more moderate and severely advanced cases, we obviously want to have our patients consulting with a nephrologist. And you can see on the heat map very clearly that when they're high risk and very high risk, we should be consulting with a nephrologist. And working together, we can tell our patients that we should be able to slow down the progression of chronic kidney disease as much as possible, again, with the proper medications and lifestyle changes. There has been a dearth of activity over the last 20 years in developing drugs that slow kidney disease progression. And now we've stumbled into a gold mine in the last seven to eight years with the discovery of SGLT2 inhibitors and the non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist finerenone. We've got very good data on the background of ACE and ARB therapy. You have to use maximally tolerated doses because it's been shown if you don't, the patient has no better effect than placebo in all the clinical trials that have been done. 
Number two, SGLT2s. There's three of them, well-documented to slow progression of kidney disease. You need the lowest dose. These are drugs that are cardiorenal risk-reducing agents that happen to lower glucose if your GFR is 60 or higher. They do nothing to glucose if your GFR is below 45, and yet they protect down to GFR of 20 against progression of kidney disease and heart failure development. So they must be a part of initial therapy in people with diabetes. If they're not on it, they need to be on it, period. This is only for type 2 diabetes, not type 1. On top of that, finerenone, if the patient has significant albuminuria, definitely greater than 300 without any question, even once they're on maximal doses, finerenone needs to be added to the mix. SGLT2s are remarkably well tolerated. The only major effects are in women. They are more prone to vaginal fungal infections. However, if they keep the area down there dry, you will have no problem with that. If women have recurrent urinary tract infections, they probably should not be given these agents. Or you could do a trial, but warn them about it. And if they develop one, then they really can't be on it. At which point, you switch to finerenone for sure, because then they still have another alternative that will help protect the heart and the kidneys. Diabetic ketoacid doses you should be aware of, and that has only been seen really in type 1 diabetes and in type 2 diabetes in people who are on high doses of insulin and or sulfonylureas, and then they start reducing the doses of insulin or sulfonylureas independent of anything else. Those are the people that are going to be in trouble with ketoacidosis, not anyone else. So I think it's important to keep in mind those limitations. The hyperkalemia risk in finerenone is very small, smaller than spironolactone. SGLT2s should be given to all people with type 2 diabetes unless contraindicated. And if you can't take an SGLT2, then finerenone should be given at the initial dose of 10 milligrams. And if the GFR is above 60, you can start at 20 milligrams per the FDA. Remember, lifestyle is the cornerstone of therapy and the patient needs to be educated on this. So we've talked a lot about the lifestyle changes with our patients. As with all medical conditions, there's something patients can do to help themselves. And specifically with dietary modifications, there's some evidence that changes here in the way patients behave can be of some benefit. The ADA specifically recommends a protein-restricted diet, and studies are relatively weak, but nonetheless, they're there. George, do you recommend that patients go on a protein-restricted diet? Oh, yeah, I do. I do. And I strongly encourage, actually, an increase in vegetable protein and more of a vegan diet because because there's been some small studies showing some pretty good success with that, but there's no large outcome trial that's been positive showing restricted protein. And I strongly urge you to get a dietitian to do this with a patient formally. Another thing about patient education, by the way, is we shouldn't leave out the fact that just maintaining a good body mass index of BMI is also very important. Fortunately, SGLT2 inhibitors and also GLP-1s are pretty good at helping our patients do that. So specifically in diabetics with CKD, using those two medications, I find to be very, very helpful. I think those two medications are quite good, especially for glucose control. And of course, the GLP-1 RAs, very good for weight loss. I think one of the things that's important is patients are given all this information at the doctor's office, they leave, and then they go, what did he say? If you go to the National Kidney Foundation portal, www.kidney.org, the patient gets a tremendous amount of information and can do it on their own time. So very important to link that. So again, work with your nephrologist. I know that in my area with nephrologists, they'll see patients anywhere from one to four times a year, depending on the patient's condition. And of course, getting consultation letters and making sure that whatever they're recommending, we're working together in tandem to help our patients with their lifestyle changes and also 
making sure that they are adherent with the medications they're prescribed. And then the other thing is they need to know you need blood pressure to be less than 130 over 80. I think one of the most important points, though, is to make sure that the physician refers the patient to the nephrologist at the absolute positive latest when the GFR is at or slightly above 30 or albuminuria is greater than 300, regardless of the GFR. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.